You are listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. Welcome listeners. Loss is loss. And when you lose someone you love in many ways, it doesn't matter how it happened. Still, one has to cope with the emptiness. When I lost Tomas, I knew that there was nothing humanly possible I could have done to prevent his death. More than anything, he wanted to live, love, and cause trouble on another day, but had cancer had a different idea. But I had no regrets. He lived as well as he could, as long as he could, and was in it for a fight. What if your loved one chose to end their life? What if there was the tiniest chance that this life could have been saved? How do you grapple with suicide? Today, we are going to chat with Caroline Ridgway, who's brave enough to share her story about losing her brother. Welcome, Caroline. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so this is a really tough subject, and I've been curious about the different ways of... I've been dealing with grief in so many different ways And I can't imagine what it's like coming from the suicide perspective, you know. So can you tell us about your experience with your brother and and what happened? Sure. Um, You know, it's it's hard to know where to begin. Um, My brother started um, experiencing serious symptoms of depression and related mental illness when he was in college. And that's a not uncommon time frame when young people start to exhibit these symptoms. Um, we do have a family history of, of mental illness in some capacities, depression and substance abuse, uh, primarily alcoholism. So these things were always kind of in the background. Um, he did have some behavioral issues as a kid, just emotional challenges that he faced. And so when he was in his early 20s and this stuff started to really arise in a serious way, he immediately went into treatment and spent a really long time going from therapist to hospital to medication, you know, doing the whole runaround and really put a ton of energy into it. Um, we as a family spent a lot of time and psychic energy trying to help my brother and he really fought. He really fought. Three and a half years ago, it just sort of, I guess, became too much and and he decided it was time to to end it. So... It was uh, it was startling. Um, I don't think it's something you can ever be prepared for, even if you know that your loved one is suicidal and, and severely mentally ill. Um, but it's just not something you can ever expect, you know. And that's, as I recall, that's not your only clash with this, correct? Correct. Yeah. My one of my dearest childhood friends died from suicide uh, in 2003. So that was really my first experience with it firsthand. And then uh, my mother has also been severely uh, depressed at times and suicidal. And she is thankfully well now. She's um, been been good for, for a while and happily so. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that has been uh, a, quite a persistent theme through my adult life. Was your brother diagnosed and he was on a treatment plan with a doctor during this time? Um, and did you suspect suicide, even though he was depressed and had signs of mental illness? Did you think that suicide was an option or was that a total surprise? 
sure. So he was di- he was diagnosed. His primary uh, diagnoses were depression, and he had very severe social anxiety. Uh-huh. And he was most definitely in treatment. He saw a counselor regularly. He was under the care of a psychiatrist to manage his medications, which is essential. I mean, it's really critical to find mm-hmm. these providers that that will care for you that you can work with. Um, it has to be a two way street. You have to be willing to meet them halfway. And he was cared for immensely. He went in and out of the hospital a few times. He was hospitalized in the psychiatric ward a few times when he was uh, more suicidal. Um, He went through a very extensive round of ECT, which is the electroconvulsive therapy. Wow. Which really helped his depression quite substantially, but really didn't do anything for his social anxiety. And Mm -hmm. there were definitely times over the years where suicide was presented as a possibility. Um, I remember one time uh, our family physician (laughs) told our dad, you know, on the phone in such a sort of flippant way, like, yeah, you should watch out because you know, we just changed his medication and, you know, just keep an eye out. And, you know, dad was devastated. Like, how can you be so cavalier and so cultural about considering such a thing? Um, So we did know that it was something that might happen, but he was remarkably self-aware. And for the most part, the times that he went into the hospital were times when he himself kind of raised the flag and said, you know what, I think that I need help. Wow. And it's amazing that he was able to do that. And why the the last time he didn't, we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and he, as you've told me, he was an achiever, right? He wasn't, you know, a guy sitting in the corner doing nothing. I mean, he was academically striving, correct? And he was. I mean, I I can go on and on about my brother. I'm his biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet. Um, he was one of. And I don't, this is not just bias. This is legitimate. He was incredibly intelligent. He was genius level intelligent. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, a lot of times those kinds of intelligences are correlated with mental illness. And he, um, you know, he would read books about theoretical physics just because he thought they were interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's different. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he would try to explain to me, you know, oh, this is how the universe works. And I'm like, okay, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so he was just wildly intelligent and creative. He would, he loved to reverse engineer things. You know, if he wanted to know how something worked, he would take it apart and then figure out how to put it back together. Yeah. Um, He built himself a bicycle just because he was curious as to how that worked. (laughs) That's so cool. I love that. So it was, um, you know, he was just a lot of fun to have around. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he was loads of fun. But, you know, he had a lot of demons and he was one of those kinds of people who just struggles with the weight of the world. You know, he felt the highs of life, but he really felt the lows and he just kind of struggled to get past and through those. No, I, I totally understand that. I have someone that I was very close to also struggling with mental illness. And it was really hard for me to sort of be empathetic because I just didn't know how his brain worked. I didn't know, you know, how his thought process differed from mine. And so it was really hard to sort of empathize and be in his shoes because I I couldn't understand the perspective, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to point out. Um, You know, most of us at some point or another go through depressions. I think that that's really natural. Yeah. Um, And not something that is 
a point of shame. It's just, it's just life. Um, but I would ask Will sometimes, you know, what are you thinking or how are you feeling? And he would kind of look at me and say, well, I can't possibly explain it to you. (laughs) Yeah. Or he would say, sometimes he would say, even if I could explain it to you, I don't think you really want to know. Uh, you know, I think he wanted to protect us to a degree from really just the depths of the darkness that he felt. Which is tough because you want to be there for him and really understand how deep it is, right? Until until they vocalize it to you, you're not going to know. For sure. I mean, you want to be empathic towards your loved ones. And I wanted him to come out and enjoy life because there were things about about life that he got he got great joy from and pleasure from. And he had friends and he did things. And it wasn't that he just I think that's what's hard for people to understand is that outwardly my brother looked looked appeared you know in quotes really normal yeah yeah (laughs) and that was the kind of thing that almost drove him crazy I mean he sort of wished he had an illness that had really obvious physical manifestations because the fact that people just looked at him and thought well what's wrong with you was really frustrating for him he he really braced against the labels and the the stereotypes that come with this diagnosis of mental illness but by the same token it was real I mean he was really paralyzed by these illnesses and um it was just really tough for him to reconcile kind of well i don't want to be this person but i can't get out of it and it's just it's a really strange situation and it is really hard as a loved one because you don't know how much to push or how hard to push or when to push um you know and so it was tough because you never knew exactly well if i ask him to come out is he gonna (laughs) yeah have fun is he just gonna resent it you know so it's always this sort of dance as to what to do Yeah. And social anxiety. I mean, that's a big one in many senses because, you know, is he comfortable with one other person in the room, three other people in the room? Is a group going to freak him out? You know, like what are the boundaries within that where he might be comfortable or not? And that's a really, that's a tough one when you're trying to really bring someone out with you and and socialize. And it could be so variable from day to day. Yeah. Some days he would come and we'd go to parties together and hang out with friends and he would just be, you know, loose and happy and at ease and you could see the light in his eyes. And then there were other days where he's just like, I can't do it. And that was also really frustrating as a loved one because there was no way to really tell or figure out or help you know, elucidate what the difference was between the days when everything was good and everything was terrible. I think the tough thing for me in dealing with that was like, I wasn't sure when it was my fault or not. Sure. I mean, there's definitely a guilt component. Yeah. I was like, am I making him suffer or is he just suffering? Like, yeah. Can I make it better at all? Or is this just how it is? You know, I think that was one of the challenges for me was, I mean, part of the time I felt a little selfish, but I was like, I, I want to bring this person joy. You know, I want to support this person how I, however I can in life, you know, but am I causing this? And, you know, I guess, yeah, and I guess part of it is kind of like you have to realize that these are chemical imbalances, you know, these are physical conditions. For sure. And I think part of it was just making sure that we always let him know that he was included and that he was wanted. Right. And that when he decided that he was up to joining, uh, that he was welcome. Yeah. But when he couldn't, that there wouldn't be judgment on him. No pressure. Yeah. And Do you think, um, I know some of sort of the symptoms of mental disorders and illness can be like substance abuse or alcoholism. 
I mean, was that ever a problem? It can be with some people, not everybody, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because Will did self-medicate. Uh, he was a cigarette smoker and he drank some and he dabbled in other substances. Um, but it was all in service of him trying to make himself feel better. Right. And, um, it was tough because I remember one of the times that he went into the hospital, the doctors forced him into uh, going to AA meetings uh-huh. and, you know, tried to say, well, you should go to an inpatient substance abuse program when you're when you're released. And he was really mad about it. He was like, you know, they don't get that substance abuse is not my primary problem. <laughs> um, right. And he was really sort of pissed about it and just this this sort of lack of understanding this sort of institutional perspective of well this ergo that right um, rather right. than really trying to understand the root of the problem um so yeah it's, it is kind of interesting because there is a lot of self-medication that goes on and there are these sort of you know comorbidities that go along but yes. for him it really was he was just trying to kind of get along and cigarettes were stress reducer for him <laughs> yeah and that's for a lot of people you know I mean I think that's that's pretty commonplace these days but that's pretty that's pretty tame compared to some of the yeah no I that mean people was, are using you know he I was mean, definitely not hardcore you know yeah. he smoked a fair amount of marijuana yeah um and that was a concern because it is illegal um yes. yeah. and I always worried you know god if he gets busted you know he doesn't have the constitution to handle going through that process. So I worried about that. Yeah. Um, but for him, it really did. It really did kind of help calm his nerves. And when you've got somebody who's functioning on such a high level intellectually, I mean, their minds just never stop moving. And so having something that, you know, for the rest of us might make us sort of incoherent and dumb. Yeah. <laughs> for him, it, it just kind of brought him down to a normal level. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I actually had a conversation last night with a friend about um, kind of enlightenment and, and treatment through psychedelics. And I was just mm, like, yeah. you have to be so careful with that kind of stuff. Because again, like the curious intellect mind might want to pursue that to find that enlightenment or some kind of clarity about the condition, you know, but that sure. can just totally mess with you too. At the same, Oh, time. it's so interesting. You know, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm really fascinated by brain chemistry and I certainly can't claim any expertise in it at all, but right. I find it really interesting. And I did study uh, biological psychology in college as undergrad. So now, you know, 20 years ago, right. <laughs> just a few years ago, no worries. Okay. <laughs> you know, just a, just a little bit ago, <laughs> Exactly. Um, but I, I mean, it's fascinating and we'll see as far as whether um, the pharmaceutical industry decides to catch up with what, a lot of people seem to know, which is that some of these drugs, when used appropriately, may actually have beneficial effects, but it's so impossible to regulate them while yeah, they're legal. Totally, totally. And so that's, that right there is the catch-22, right? How do you yeah. get treatment without, you know, frying your brain? Right, <laughs> so, right, right. Um, you know, and I, I am curious, you know, again, this is one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is just, you know, I have been so afflicted with grief throughout I'd say more than half my life now losing my parents and my, and again, those were all out of anybody's control. You know, like my parents died in a car accident, my brother died of cancer and there was nothing anybody could do about anything. You know, it was just what it was. And so I'm curious how your brother's death affected your life, you know? Well, it affected my life hugely. Um, 
Yeah, he was my best friend, truly. I, I, there's no other really succinct way to put it. Um, we were two and a half years apart, and I'm older. Um, and you know, like a lot of siblings, when we were young, we fought constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and then when we were still relatively young, around whatever age, our parents started leaving us for little bits of time without getting babysitters. We. I don't know if it was conscious or unconscious, but we realized that we were better off together. Okay. Uh, you know, we could fight the boogeyman better if there were two of us. Right. Uh, and through our adolescence and high school, before I left for college, I mean, we just developed a real, a real friendship and a real connection. And I just had such respect for my brother um, and such admiration. And it, in all the ways that I helped to support him, he was equally supportive of me. You know, he was somebody who believed thoroughly in me. Yeah. <laughs> and that is such a gift. Yeah. Um, you know, he was such a champion for me. He was my supporter. He was my sounding board. You know, he would call me out on my bullshit when I needed to be. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> but all from a place of just this mutual respect and love. And yeah. You know, losing him was absolutely catastrophic. Um, he was my my person. Right. Uh, we did everything together. Um, I had, I've never in my life felt as at ease with somebody as I did with him. So it's it's immensely hard. Uh, you know, the first the initial grief is so overwhelming you hardly even know what to do because it's shocking. I mean, this is a shock to the system. You know that he just did it you know completely you know it's interesting I was listening to a, a podcast the other day about the topic of ambiguous loss uh -huh. and I just found it so fascinating and it really resonated with me you know classically the concept of ambiguous loss might refer to somebody who goes out on a hike or on a boat and just never comes back you know after 9-11 with all the 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 people who couldn't be identified in the in the ruins and that's sort of the traditional sense of ambiguous loss where you lose somebody and you have no way to identify or, uh, you know, per attach an identity to their loss. Right. But I feel like even with suicide, that applies because the loss was so sudden and in many ways, despite his long term illness, unexpected. And so one day he was there and we would have been texting about something really stupid and ordinary. Yeah. And the next day he was just gone and there was no way to understand that. No way to reconcile it. There was no way to really process it. Um, you know, his apartment was still there full of all of his stuff, but he wasn't. Right. <laughs> and yeah. you sort of have this sense of like, well, maybe he just went on this long extended vacation and he'll come back. <laughs> yeah, no, I come from my parents died in a car accident. I was in the accident with them. So I vividly understood exactly what happened for the most part. I mean, I wasn't driving. So, you know, I don't know exactly what happened, you know, for my dad to drive us into a river, basically. But yeah. I think that with my brother, he was just didn't believe it, you know, right? He was kind of yeah. he was trying to attribute something like did he have a heart attack? Was he asleep? Like what he needed a cause. He needed to pinpoint the why. Sure. Right. Because that's our natural inclination as people. We, yeah. we have this innate drive to need to understand things totally. and to define them. And In when black we and can't, yeah. it drives us crazy. And yeah. so there's definitely been, you know, it's been three and a half years now. And I would say that we 
I individually and we as a family put a lot of time and energy into trying to make peace with the lack of understanding. Right. You know, we'll never know exactly why it happened when it happened. Um, what was it that day, that hour? Yeah, you know, I remember the line, right? only a few months after my brother passed away, my dad and I went to a luncheon for the local um, NAMI chapter, the uh-huh. National Alliance on Mental Illness. Okay. And there was a woman who was giving um, a presentation. She'd been awarded something from the organization. And she had been somebody who suffered greatly from mental illness and through treatment had come through and was was thriving. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was only a few months after Will had died. So we were just still so raw. Mm-hmm. And I remember after dad saying to me, like, God, it, you know, he was so happy for her mm-hmm. um, and empathetic to her. But also you can't help but think, well, why, why did she survive and, and our person didn't? Yeah. Because it can feel so arbitrary. Yeah. Completely. And like, well, why did we put all this time and effort in if it was going to be futile? Totally. Um, and you feel guilty. Like, was there anything else I could have done? And how did I contribute to this? Did I not love him enough? Did we not try hard enough? Right. Um, and right. so you really wrestle with those things and they're, they're really big and they're really huge. hard. They're huge. I mean, I had a um, good friend of mine from high school who I kind of reconnected with after college and we became buddies and uh, you know, we've probably known each other for a decade and I was living out in California and she was in Colorado and he, I knew she was having issues and she was getting medicated, but she was, you know, seeking therapy and, seemed like she was getting her stuff together, just like, just make it happen. And then all of a sudden I got a call from her sister saying she'd um, left a note, like left letters for people, left pictures and drove up to a mountain pass and took a bunch of pills. Wow. And then she was just gone. And they, I guess she's what they call a sleeper, you know, like you have no idea yeah exactly what's brewing in there and then they just kind of and she planned it all out she like sold things she organized her house yeah but she knew exactly and had been planning. yeah that was kind of the way it was with my friend who died in 2003 um his death was a complete shock he was not in therapy that anybody knew of he was not struggling with any anything specific that anybody knew of mm-hmm. but he clearly had planned it because he had written letters and things and done like you're like your friend done some organizing um, yeah. but it was just wild because you had no conception that he was struggling yeah at all it was so bizarre you know and to be so thought out it's like wow they really you know yeah. first I was really mad at her and I was like come on like you're such a good person what a loss yeah. and then I was like wow she really wanted to do this she really didn't want to be here and how could I For be sure. mad at a person who knows what she wants, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting comment because I at no point have been mad at my brother. Yeah. Um, I miss him like absolute crazy. Totally. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people say, well, do you think about him? And I say, well, think about him. He lives inside my head. <laughs> he's part of you. Yeah. You, you know, he basically you has know? a permanent space inside my mind where yeah. he just kind of hangs out. Totally. So yes, of course I think about him. But I've never been mad at him. And I've been mad at the circumstances. I've been mad at other things, but not mad at him personally, because I really don't see what he did as selfish. Right. He didn't do it to get attention. Yeah. Any of those things. He did it because he just couldn't handle it. Yeah. 
And, and it's hard to begrudge somebody who's suffering, you know, like, sure. who, and who's attempted over and over again to find a way to relieve it, you know? Yeah. You can't begrudge anybody for just wanting to be just in peace. It's so, definitely not like he didn't try. <laughs> yeah. And it's what, what's technically what we're all striving for. We're just not all, you know, in that much pain to achieve, trying to achieve it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it is, it's tough to come to terms with those thoughts and, and it seems so counterintuitive, right? Like how can you be glad that somebody committed suicide? And let's be honest. It's not that I'm glad. I wish he were still here. I miss him all the time every day, Yeah. but I am relieved in a weird way that he's not suffering anymore. You know, and people so easily come to that determination when you've got somebody who dies of a long-term chronic physical illness. Right. You know, oh, thank God they're not suffering anymore. But for it's a different thing when you've got somebody who dies from mental illness. Well, you know, what did we do? Why? Why? Why is suicide such a tragedy? And of course it is. Yeah. Any loss of life is a tragedy. Yeah. But it shouldn't be put on that person as a failure. No, no, absolutely not. And yeah. It was almost the same thing with my brown cancer. Like I was so conflicted for the whole time he was in hospice because part of me was like, of course I want him to live. I don't want him to leave me. I don't want to, I don't want to be without him, but I can't see him suffer like this anymore. Yeah. I want him to die so that he can, you know, move on to his next transformation and hopefully Mm -hmm. be able to walk again and feed himself and, you know, not wear a diaper. (laughs) Right. Things that we know, you know, we have such conflicting viewpoints about the value of life. Totally, totally. And what is that? What is your standard of life? You know, like what, what is your limit? You know, like what makes it, what's the line that makes you not want to live anymore? And it's kind of thing. Like I just did a um, a podcast on medical aid and dying. And that's sort Mm -hmm. of like, you know, you're dying. And then are you going to take the power to sort of, accelerate that process if you don't want to suffer you know it it is technically in your hands at that point and you can do it right um and i know there's it's a very controversial issue and it's only legal in eight states but it's one of those things like this person is suffering and they know they're you know we're all going to die there's no doubt it is Mm -hmm. the absolute that is coming to all of us beings but you know there has to be some understanding that comes with it yeah, yeah it seems really hard for people to come by. You know, we cling yeah. to life like <laughs> like crazy. Yeah. And there is a time at which you just have to be graceful and gracious enough to acknowledge that it's coming to an end. Totally. And and that whether it's through mental illness and your your brain's just saying it's time or your body just poops out like or it's an accident, yeah. you know, like what, however it happens, it happens sooner or later. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to think just how fragile life is, you know, it really, it truly is, regardless of what you believe, whether you're, uh, you know, an evangelical Christian or an atheist, you have to acknowledge that the creation of life is a miracle. Yeah, all that goes into it, you know, the fact that it happens as successfully as it does as frequently as it does is miraculous. It is. And it's so easy to undo it. Yeah, no. And <laughs> which is remarkable. And once it's undone, it's undone. Totally. And and so I think that we just have a really hard time wrapping our heads around the idea that somebody would make the conscious choice to end it. Um, but I do think that there are people for whom life just becomes more than they can handle and they do seek the peace that comes with that, that kind of graceful exit. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think for us to truly under, I mean, you know, the whole, again, the whole podcast is to sort of talk through and be comfortable with death, you know, and understand that it's not necessarily an ending. This whole desire for black and white and definition of everything um, doesn't work. It's actually, it it doesn't make sense at all because everything is gray. No plans ever really happen, you know, like you have to just be open to the possibilities of what what can happen, you know, and and then I think goes along with death and from what all I've studied and all I've talked to, you know, I think just what lies ahead could be kind of interesting, you know. Um, Yeah. It could be. Yeah. I mean, who are we to say? I know that's the thing. Who are we to say? And 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 I think actually, um, that's the perfect segue to one of the questions that I ask all my guests: is what's your vision of the afterlife? So I don't have a really specific visual sense of what the afterlife is. Um, I was raised in the Episcopal Church, um, but I'm not particularly religious in a specific way. Mm-hmm. I consider myself very spiritual. I definitely believe in something, some kind of larger, higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't identify it as the, uh, you know, capital letters, God, Christian <laughs> God that I was raised with. Yeah. And it's really nothing against that. You know, I know a lot of people for whom the church in an organized way has been hugely meaningful. Um, so it's really not that I have any moral objection. It's just not the way that my mind has really worked around those, those questions. Right. So I don't specifically envision a heaven the way I was raised to think about it, Mm -hmm. but I definitely think that life goes on and how it goes on, I think is open to question and interpretation and, and imagination truly. Um, You know, one of the things that I think about, and I started thinking about this a few years ago was the realization that the laws of science demand that no energy is uh, created or destroyed. It, it can only change form. Right. And when I started thinking about that in the context of life, I thought, well, of course that makes sense. So if a person dies, it's not as though they can physically, so their physical body will die, but whatever energy makes up their, their person, mm-hmm. their soul, whatever word you want to use, there's so many terms yeah. that float around to describe these things. Yeah. That energy has to go somewhere. Right. And so I believe that the energy must find a home. Right. Um, it must be lodged or accumulated somewhere. Right. And I also think about it from a somewhat self-protective standpoint that it's too hard for me to think that my brother's death or the death of any people who have been close to me is just so final. Yeah. You know, for me, it's comforting to think that they're out there in whatever form and God, I mean, isn't that why we have religion? (laughs) Totally. I mean, I I totally feel through the millennia have tried, have, wanted to assign meaning and so that's where we come up with these things yeah i i fully believe that my bro and parents and my dog obi are all hanging out like i hope that they are that's what i yeah. imagine that they're all just hanging out and having a good time and keeping an eye yeah. out down here totally i mean i see my brother and both of my grandmothers are probably like having a cocktail and a cigarette and <laughs> <laughs> feeling really good yeah. about it <laughs> yeah you know I totally. And I, not that I would 
ever do this to myself, but I long for the day that I can join them. Right. Someday. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. it's really interesting to think about. And it's, I don't know what I think it looks like. I don't. And these, it's interesting because I actually had these con- some of these conversations with my brother when he was around. And, you know, he was a really hyper empirical kind of person. Yeah. He was really into science and math and uh, he believes in everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But I remember talking with him at times about the notion of the afterlife and he was kind of scoffed at it. Like, well, sure, you know, that can't be real. That's not a thing. And I would just absolutely love to be able to ask him now. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Buddy? Like, no, what do you think? <laughs> Have we come full circle on this? <laughs> totally. Exactly. Yeah. Hopefully his mind is blown and experiencing all these new things and learning all these new things, you know? I hope so. I mean, yeah. really principally what I hope is just that he has found the peace that he never was able to find here. hundred um, percent. You know, I think that in the 32 years that he was alive, he probably was like dog years, you know, yeah. he, he lived more in terms of the emotional weight that he carried yes. than the rest of us. And so he was just sort of done. Yeah. And I, I, I dare to say that about my brother too. I mean, 20 years of cancer is. Oh God. Endless. Endless. It's ridiculous. So he, he was a warrior. <laughs> For sure. He fought and fought and fought and fought until his body was too tired. And you know, what can you say about get on you? Like, good job, buddy. You know, you did right. a great job. You did all you could. Yeah. 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 And it's funny because, you know, we can have these conversations and these thoughts, but it doesn't minimize the grief. No, it doesn't minimize the loss because you can be as philosophical and Zen as you want about, yes, of course, I believe that there's life after death. And I believe that they're there watching me and with me, but it doesn't make the day-to-day experience of the loss any less hard. Oh, no. and so that is such the, the grappling that you have to do as the person who's left behind. And yeah. it's, it's real work. Oh, it is. And and the worst is when people are kind of like, uh, aren't you done with that yet? And you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Excuse me, but grief does not have a timeline, you know, like it comes in waves. Some days I'm, I can go three days being totally fine and then be devastated the next day, you know, like, yeah, you just don't understand how it works, but it's a process, you know, and there is no categorizing it or, you know, like, like, sorry, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, but I don't right. think five stages actually <laughs> exist. I know it all just sucks. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, 100%. as much as I want to box it up and make it pretty, it's just not happening. So No, and I think it's really hard, too, in terms of how you make it work with your day-to-day life and social interactions. Because, yeah. you know, my my brother's funeral was attended by, like, 300 people. Wow. So many people came. You know, my family has lived in our community for a really long time. We know a lot of people. And so certainly a lot of them came specifically to support him, but a lot of them came to support our family. And that's fine. I appreciate it, regardless of what their motive was. But it was just a lot of people. Yeah. But then the thing that's so hard about it is that then you as the surviving family member, you know, the funeral ends and everybody else goes about their day. Yeah, they leave and it's quiet. And meanwhile, you're like, well, shit. <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? now? What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> and 100%. figuring out how to get back to work and how to start socializing again and 
who am I? You know, having this insane identity crisis, like, who am I now that my brother is gone? Am I still even a sister? Right. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. You know? I talked about that in a different podcast about, you know, I just gotten used to not being a daughter anymore. Right. And now I have to not be a sister. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what does and that mean? What's me? left? <laughs> Exactly. I'm a dog mom still. I still got the Wookiee, but yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I have two wonderful stepsisters, so it's not like I'm bereft of siblings. And I've got some amazing friends and who were just such an incredible community. I mean, so supportive. I had friends who right out of the gate were in- inviting me and not even so much asking, but telling like, you will come to our house for this dinner party. And I don't care if you sit in the corner and you're miserable, you're coming yeah, because we're not going to let you just sit there. Yeah, And there are a few people to whom I have with all the grace and love that I can muster apologized <laughs> Yeah, over the last year or so and said, God, you know, I must've just been a nightmare to be around, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and I basically sort of, decided that I don't have to like I kind of took took the opposite route saying I've been through the ringer so I'm just going to do what feels right and everyone else can bugger off (laughs) (laughs) well there was some of that (laughs) there was definitely some of that you know and it was hard to figure out what to do and what not to do and where the boundaries were I remember one time very shortly after Will had died and I had a volunteer committee meeting I was supposed to be going to Mm -hmm. And I had had a rough day. You know, my emotions were really on edge that day. It was probably only a couple of months after Will had died. And I remember calling my mom on the phone and, you know, just in tears. Like, I don't want to go to this meeting. I don't want to go. And she was like, then don't. (laughs) Right. Right. And I was like, no, I have to. I told them I would. Right. And then I was in the car driving there, still crying. Like, I just couldn't get my act together. (laughs) And I called her back and I said, I'm going to go home. Good. (laughs) She was like, good plan. Good. (laughs) But it was really hard trying to figure out just the specifics of life. Yes. Yes. And, and, and the thing is, you know, you really don't have to explain it to anybody. It's your process and you have to take your time dealing with it and understanding it and um, coming through it on the other end too. You know, that's all your own work. Sure. And the other end is definitely a moving target. Yes, it is. Sometimes you feel like you're almost there and then you're like, ah, great. (laughs) (laughs) Not there. Yeah. You know, the saying goes, time heals all wounds. And I I don't know that I feel like that's true. I mean, time definitely minimizes all wounds. It makes it feel a little better because it's a bit more distant. Yeah. Yeah. You sort of get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember somebody said to me soon after Will had died, it'll all be okay. And I was like, screw that. No, it won't. (laughs) Like, Like, what does okay mean? Yes, I'm alive, you know. Exactly. Like, I'm I'm living. I'm not going to curl up into a ball. Yes. But it doesn't mean it's okay. Right, right. You know, I think one of the most appropriate non-platitude-y kind of condolences I got from a friend was probably a couple of weeks after Will had died and I got this text message and it basically said I'm really sorry I haven't written yet I was trying to figure out what to say and I couldn't come up with anything so I just wanted to say I'm sorry yeah I was like that's perfect that's all you had to say (laughs) you know that's great say that sucks you know yeah 
whatever you need to just don't say it's God's plan or it'll be okay. Or there happened for a reason. Like, Oh yeah, that's a good one. Those are the worst. Um, But just acknowledge the reality that it sucks. And, you know, I'm here for you if you need me type of thing, you know? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's so much to be said for just presence. Yes. Um, You know, making sure that people know that you care about them and that goes as much for your loved one as for you in the, in the aftermath. Yes. Um, You know, there were so many times with Will that I would just randomly send him a text message and all it would say was, I just wanted to let you know, I'm thinking about you and I love you. And as to whether he responded was a total crapshoot, but at least I felt good having put it out there. Yeah. And there were friends who did the same thing for me, like just wanted you to know that I'm thinking about you and I'm here for you and let me know if there's anything I can do. And um, so I've really tried to pay that forward. And when I have friends who are dealing with issues, just try to make sure that they know that I care for them and that if there's anything I can do to, and, but that's a tough question too. You know, that's one of the things that like, when you're somebody who's going through grief or loss or any really challenging life circumstance, the question you know, what could I do to help you? It's sometimes impossible. <laughs> yeah. Cause you don't, you're in the middle of crisis. You don't even know what you want. Or what you, you don't need. know. <laughs> you have no clue. Yeah. You really true. don't. So sometimes I think that there's more value in just sharing your emotional support rather than trying to force logistical help yes. on somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I'd often get a little pissed off and I'd be like, I don't care what you bring. Yeah. Just come and do what yeah. you want. Like, Right. We're not going to be mad if you brought lasagna over pizza. Like, who gives a shit? Just bring it <laughs> yeah, here, exactly. you know? Um, totally. And I have, I have some friends currently going through some serious issues, like all cancer related, unfortunately. And literally when it happened, I was like, here's the deal. I'm going to send you a text every one to two weeks. You can respond or not respond. But I'm just throwing it out there that I'm sending good vibes and caring about you and you know, you know, I'll be there in a jack in a, you know, in a minute if you need me at all. So sure. just, you know, but don't feel like you have to respond. I'm just going to keep reaching out. And if you want to give me an update, cool. And if not, don't. Yeah. Completely. You know? Yeah. And it, it seems to work pretty well because it's just a constant, like, a you know, we don't live in the same place, so I can't be there to help and visit, but. Right. Um, and at least just send sort of an olive branch out to say, I'm thinking of you. And I know what you're going through and I'm so sorry. And here's just someone checking in on you kind of thing. Yeah. I think you know? that there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. For sure. Just yeah. giving of yourself emotionally. Yeah. You know, and it comes again down to energy. You know, I really do believe in the power of energy and, and that energy transference. It's a, it's a real thing. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Absolutely. And, um, and actually, let's let's go to sort of the other question that I ask people in that, you know, considering what you've been through, what is the most important piece of wisdom that you've learned to share with our listeners? So, um, you know, again, I could probably go a few different directions with that. Um, trite as it may be, it's definitely worth trying to incorporate into your daily life the value of telling somebody that you love them. Yeah. Because you really don't know when they might not be there. Right. Um, And I was really pretty proactive about that with my brother. And part of that stemmed from the loss of my friend, um, you know, way back now in 2003. 
um, because his loss was so sudden and so totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I really struggled with well, what, what would I, or could I have done differently? Um, and so I think there's a reason that some things become generalities because they're true. Um, <laughs> and one of them is tell your loved ones how you feel. Right. Make sure that you end as many conversations as you can with I love you. Right. It matters. It does. It does. It really matters. And it's so basic too. And it's and it's it's a curiosity why it doesn't happen more often, you know. Right? You know, I think we're just so busy. I mean, I yeah. remember it will always be something that sticks in my mind that the very last interaction I had with my brother was so stupid. We had <laughs> exchanged text messages about um a family vacation that was coming up and we didn't it didn't even really end in a conclusive way it just sort of trailed off and I remember just thinking god of all the times yeah (laughs) all the times over the years that I made sure to explicitly tell him how I felt and that I loved him that was like the one time that I was like oh whatever (laughs) (laughs) you know I was at work it was a busy day I wasn't really thinking about it and then like that that weekend he was gone yeah. And yeah. so would it, it's just always something I'll think about. Yeah, totally. Um, well, my last conversation with my brother was actually comical because uh, I was changing his diapers and he'd taken the biggest shit I've ever seen. Oh, my God. And he even apologized as he was doing it. Yeah. And I said, dude, that is the biggest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> nice Good for work. you. He and we high fived and then he went to sleep. He didn't wake yeah. up. Oh my God. There was no go to the light or I'll love you forever or anything. It was like shit, dude. Like, honestly, it's like how I couldn't even, I couldn't make the stuff up. It's right. It's just unreal, you know, but at least I knew he had the ultimate relief. (laughs) Can have Right. And yeah. I helped him with it. So I feel pretty good about that, strangely. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, <laughs> the, right, you can think about that and just take it to the next level, which is just like, you know what? Life is messy. It is. <laughs> so messy. Life is so messy and bodies are weird and life is weird. And yeah. if we can just be present for each other. Totally. That's just so meaningful. And it's so <laughs> hard because yeah. we get so stuck. Totally. You know, you're just, and I'm, even with these experiences that I've had and you, you know, we're, I'm as guilty as anybody. I just, I get stuck in my routine and my to-do lists and my anxieties. And all I need to do is have a conversation with somebody like you or just Mm -hmm. take a step back and take a breath and kind of think, God, there's so much more to it. Yeah. And who cares if I get this stupid little task done today, I can do it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so and that's the thing. It's like the most um, profound things are always so basic. Yeah. They're always so basic. Like be present with someone, tell them you love them, you know, like how, how much more basic can you get than that? Really? Right. Right. You know? It's, it's so simple, but so many people don't do it. Yeah. I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah I think that one of the other things that I've really learned and well, learning <laughs> is the extent to which it's okay to reinvent yourself. Yeah, of course. Um, and really coming to terms with who this new me might be. Right. And exploring some of the things that really I'm more passionate about than I knew. Um, which is so 
yeah, exploring the things that, that really drive me um, as a person. And, um, you know, I've certainly spent a lot of time over the last three and a half years thinking about how my life is different without my brother. And it's, it's really hard. You know, I, I was, I've done some, you know, a lot of journaling and personal essay writing and things just as a way to work through my feelings. And one of the things that I've thought about a lot is how do you become what you maybe always were? Right. And how do you evolve into that space? And how do you give yourself permission to grow in a positive way from something that feels so overwhelmingly bad? Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, from my brother's death, strangely enough, he gave me this key to freedom in many ways because, you know, we suffered together and worked really hard to get him to peace. And now it's like, you know, all of a sudden this creativity has bubbled and I'm writing a memoir and I've got this podcast and these are all things that I've never done before. Yeah. I mean, they're brand new, but they seem like exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, which is the strangest thing, you know, but it's a certain freedom that's come with having suffered and grieved and done all these heartbreaking activities. It's kind of opened you up to a new scenario. Yeah. And I don't care. Like I, I, it's almost reckless abandon in a strange way. Like, I don't care what people think and I have no one that I need to impress. And it's just, it's this ultimate freedom in the strangest way, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty incredible and wild how life will just push you off the cliff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're hanging on for dear life. (laughs) Your fingernails are digging into that rock. Yeah. It's like everything you thought you knew, everything you thought you wanted. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. It's the basic stuff. Yeah, it is, you know, and, um, and it's, it takes these kind of heartbreaking scenarios, like losing our brothers to really understand that, you know? Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It is. And it's, it's a gift, you know, as much as we lost, we've been given this gift of awakening and open heartedness. Right. And then I think that another secondary struggle is, well, what do I do with that? Yeah, you know, because I feel some compulsion to do something with it, but I don't know what I don't know how, um, yeah. you know, and I don't know how to completely divest my ego from all of this. Totally. Um, you know, and those are equally big questions. <laughs> oh, God, they're huge questions. They're huge. You yeah. Know? I mean, just the ego itself is, you know, my God, such a complicated topic, but. Oh, my God, I know we should do another podcast on that. <laughs> You're on. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been, I, I, I hate to say a delight because we are talking about some very serious topics, but it's been really wonderful to chat with you. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I know it's not easy to be so cracked open and raw in front of many people, um, but I do appreciate your willingness to do this. Oh, thank you. You know, one of the things that I've thought about a lot in the years since my brother passed away is that one of the responsibilities that I feel like I've assumed that he gave me was to honor him. Yeah. To speak about him and to share his story. And so I thank you for for the platform and I thank you for the conversation and I thank you for the opportunity to be vulnerable in a positive way. And and I'm thankful for this connection. Wonderful. We we can also thank Miss Jill Wheeler for that too. <laughs> yes, yes, Jill brought us together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jillian.
Um, okay, well, again, thanks so much. And good luck in all your pursuits. I really hope that everything is fruitful and wonderful going forward.